0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 544th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast where every day we work to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. We're going to jump into our seed chat. Tonight we have Bill McDormand. Welcome, Bill. Hello, hello, everybody. Bill is our seed expert, resident seed expert, and the director of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. I'll let him tell you about that in a little while. Or now, want to jump in and introduce yourself?
1: Well, I'm... Started and ran my own small, um, what I call bioregional seed company. It was called Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens, and I did that for 28 years. No. yeah. <laughs> and then and then I sold that, and was re- my wife and I were recruited to be the directors of Native Seed Search in Tucson, Arizona, and we did that for three years. And then we were recruited to start a seed conservation organization like Native Seed Search for the entire rocky mountain west and so that was six years ago surprisingly and oh. we're, that's what i do now
0: so very good and what are we talking about tonight there's been well, some, I, there's been some yeah. excitement around seeds in the past 60 days
1: yeah <laughs> well it's like all you know there have been a lot of it's almost verged on hoarding behaviors happening mm-hmm. and when i for my 28 years in the seed business i recognize this behavior. The last time I saw something like what is happening right now happen was in 2000, in in the year 2000, when we thought Y2K was going to cause the end of the world. And everybody Mm -hmm. thought, well, if everything stops, at least I'll have my seeds. And I think that kind of thinking has been uh, rampant with the COVID. Well, we know it has. There's evidence that um, seed sales have gone through the roof. And in fact, it's caused shortages. And I want to address that because I think we need to understand what people are talking about when they say seed shortage. Because Uh just because you go to your favorite website of your favorite seed company and there's a sign up that says due to the increased number of orders, we have shut down our sales for now. And I saw that on a number of sites, Mm -hmm. even as late as a week or two ago. And so, but that, what I wanted to do tonight is kind of give you my perspective. It's a larger, some of it's worldwide, and it's kind of, um, I'm going to double click on the industry itself a little bit so that people understand what uh, it means when we talk about a seed shortage. And so, you know, some of it I think is there is reason for fear, but um, a lot of the panic buying almost that's gone on uh, is not based on founded fears, I don't believe. So, Mm -hmm. so Hopefully, we'll all learn something tonight.
0: When We we saw that, though, actually, because we recently placed an order for our fall event called the Great American Seed Up because we thought there might be seed shortages. And the seed grower that we bought from said, Greg, there's no seed shortage, shortages. Exactly.
1: And that's the, that's the point. Most of the industry that supplies the bulk amount of non-hybrid, or the most popular, I would say, old-school hybrid varieties that American gardeners want, those systems work on a five-year supply. In other words, when they actually contract grow those seeds, they grow it for if they're, uh, if they're good. And mm-hmm. they're a mature companies, they'll grow for five years. And those seeds are then stored and then they'll be shipped out over a five year period. And, and the reason why they do that is that it's just, it's always been a highly variable industry. And uh-huh. sometimes you, you do get disasters, whether they're weather caused or economics or whatever that disrupts supplies. And so, you know, these guys have learned that the key to successful business selling seeds is to always have what everybody wants. If you, if your favorite seed company always has what you want and it always ships it on time, then you're going to be with them for your life. I know that. I mean, I think 40% of my customers at high altitude gardens have been with me for 20 years or more. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're really loyal buyers once we find a company that we like and the people and, and we like the varieties there. But if you order out of their catalog or you go online and you can't get what you want, either it's out of stock or they don't have a lot of stuff, or even like we've just experienced, sorry, but we are not doing sales now. Then that immediately frees you up to go somewhere else and you may not come back. And so right. you know, the highest value for managing a C company is never run out of anything. And that, and so that goes deep into the, you know, the, the uh, contract growers that uh, you and I use to help supply the Great American Seed Up. And so that's what I want people to know. Now, what happened in some cases, and I've talked to a couple of growers and seed company people, smaller scale than we use for the Great American Seed Up, but have quite substantial now mail-order businesses. And one was Don Tipping, who owns Sisky yeah, Yeah. and Casey O'Leary, who started uh, the Snake River Seed Co-op in Idaho, and she's got about 40 growers now their operation I don't know how many seed racks you know I mean these are you know these guys do hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales they're not million dollar companies but they're you know they're they're a really nice size company because they can provide regionality you know they're a nice size but both of them told me that their supply ahead and they they rarely catch up to have five years worth of seeds for everything that they sell but their supplies were taken up this year they were able to supply everybody, but they lost their five, their, their store for years future. And so now they're kind of in emergency growing and they, they expect to be able to grow back and get back to, to uh, a good level and they don't expect to have interruptions. And so um, when, you know, which means that, you know, why hoard or why panic buy? You know, there's no reason to because they're going to have their seeds again next year. Now, if for some reason, you know, the pandemic goes on and on, or there's other disruptions, then that's a different question. So, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit further, because I have a perspective on this that says that this idea of making yourself feel better for survival reasons, on a really basic human level, and we all have that instinct. I'm not criticizing that at all. We want to make sure, you know, when trouble comes, like COVID and a pandemic where it's unprecedented what we have to do. We want to make sure that we're taken care of. And one of the things we all think about is, oh, my gosh, we've got to have our seeds. That If we have our seeds, no matter what happens, we'll be okay on some level. And uh, it's the particular – the last part of that that I, I just want to uh, question a little bit because um, I'm of the mind now that that kind of survival seed buying doesn't work. And let me explain what I mean by that because this I, I, and by telling you a story. I had a woman one time and when I at high altitude gardens, she called one day, and we were sell, actually selling buckets of seeds. And it had about forty different varieties in it and it had a seed saving book. And it was easily storable. And we had, and people were buying it. And she she let me know that she was doing this for, you know, emergency survival reasons. And when she said that, I couldn't help but speak back to her and say, you know. It's not going to work. And she was just, it was quiet. And then she said, So what do you mean the seeds won't work? They're going to die or something. And I said, No, if you keep the seeds cool, dark and dry, they'll store for decades. No, I know the seeds are okay. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that most people have never grown out 20 or 30 or 40 different kinds of things in their, in their yard or in their backyard or in their small farm at the same time and gotten everything to work. First of all, it's just hugely complicated. It depends on the weather. There's all sorts of stuff. I mean, if you're an experienced gardener, you know that failure on some level is just part of your job. And it's overcoming those and learning from them that make you a really a better gardener, but a a more careful one. And very few American gardeners, in my experience, and these are the people I dealt with over 28 years, you know, rise to the level where, well, I can buy survival seeds and I'm going to be okay. I, I guess I'm questioning that. And then the other reason why I question whether it works, and this is what I said to her, is I said, so, you know, what you're doing is, is buying these in case the grid goes down. There's no more food in the stores, or it's like the Y2K thing. We didn't know what was going to happen. And, and she goes, yeah, exactly. I, in case everything falls apart, I want to, I want to have my seats. And I said, well, that's the part that won't work, in my opinion, because think about it. How long is your garden full of food going to last in an ocean of hungry people, especially in a country that has 2.2 guns per person and not only guns, but automatic weapons? I mean, just think about you think you're going to be okay because you're growing your own food and the grid's gone down and nobody has food. I mean, it's just a bit of a stretch to me. I mean, there may be isolated people and maybe you've got your own guns and you're going to fight them off. I don't, you know, I don't buy into that whole prepper thing. I just, that's not where I'm going to go with my life. And we don't do that in in our teachings and our seed schools. What we think and what I think is that the only real answer to this problem is community-based seed systems so that everyone in your community can get seeds. Then we're all growing food. And what I know about gardening and, and synergy is that we'll we'll have, probably have more than we need if a community set its mind to it and maybe specialize. There's a, That guy's doing peppers. That guy's doing beans. This guy's doing corn or whatever it is. But as a community, we can be really strong. So that's what we need is community seed systems. And that's what we try to work on. And it was kind of cute because this woman said, I'll call you back. And she hung up the phone right then. And I thought, wow end of conversation and about three weeks she called me back and she said Bill we've worked it out we want to buy enough seeds to supply our whole community and we figure that what we need is seeds for about 1300 people and that's outside of Salmon Idaho near Chalice Idaho and I said so how do you know how'd you organize this and she said well this is the Mormon church and this is the stake they call it and they've organized you know community mormon churches into sort of regional entities and they have a command system over it you know for information and so she went to the stake uh, the head of the stake there and i'm if i'm butchering the language i apologize but but, because i'm not mormon but anyway she said we want to order seats for 1300 people and so we we, i i worked up a a deal for her and it was way too expensive but then i got to talking with her a further time and i said you know that 90% of the cost of a packet of seeds is in the packaging. So why don't you buy it bulk, and you guys package it? And she said, and and pass them out. If If you're so organized, she said, I'll call you back. So she called back one more time. She said, okay, we got it. We're going to have one of the Mormon churches. Nobody has to drive more than 30 miles. And on a Sunday after church, we're going to set up all the seeds you send, the bulk seeds, in bowls. And we're going to put little envelopes by them, and we're going to have pens, and we're going to have instructions, and everybody will go and get their seeds. They'll scoop them out, package them up themselves, and 1,300 people in our area will get their seeds. And I went, bingo, that is a great idea. And I won't go on and tell the whole story of that, but I will say that that was the germ of the idea behind the Great American Seed Up.
0: Uh, I did not know that.
1: That Greg and I and Janice have been doing now for five or six years. We're trying to build a community seed system in Phoenix. And when we get like seven, what, 700 people showed up last year?
0: Yeah, uh, 800. 800 people. Yeah.
1: So if you're thinking about seed shortage, there is no shortage of the bulk kinds of seeds it would take for you to start your community. In learning how to save and share its own seeds. And so when we do the Great American Seed Up, we're not doing it any more than this woman in, Ch- in Chalice, Idaho was doing. We, we don't want to supply everybody's seeds. I mean, they'll have them in case of an emergency. But along with those seeds comes with the education on how to grow and share. Those seeds, and if you do those two things together, there is no seed shortage, and that's what we should all be thinking about. And it builds community, it crosses um, political lines, it gives us all the things you know that we're missing, I think, in our society to make it way more healthy than it is now. So, anyway, that's what that I just wanted to add in that part. Of what seed shortages are like before I kind of go into an overview of of kind of what's going uh, on on the ground, and then we can open it up to questions if there are any.
0: Nice. Well, and um, it's going to be very interesting for me to go back and re-listen to that because I wasn't here for most of it for whatever reason. My internet kept dropping, and I had to log back in. So, oh, okay. I hey. did get the last part of the. Uh, the stake centers at the Mormon church. And, you know, that would be a really great place to reach out for our great American seed up as well. Well, I, we want
1: uh, uh, everybody to grow and sh- uh, save and share seeds. My goal, you know, I've got the million seed saver campaign. I think that yep. would save us. it uh, nutritionally. It would save our com- building, our communities. It would make us so we're not afraid of the outside world. It would help us spiritually. You know, there's, all, there's oh, yeah. so many ways that it could do that. And so, yeah, let's reach out wherever we can. I think that's a really good idea. And I, you know, thank you for having, you know, these sea chats. Thank you for the urban farm podcast,
0: because this will be one. And oh, great, yeah.
1: you can go, you can go to your own podcast and listen to it. Isn't that great?
0: <laughs> I, I actually did that this morning. I listened to the chip drop guy on my podcast this morning. So,
1: and uh, I recorded and,
0: the thing. So I love it. Well, you know, I'm not the world's expert on seeds, and I, I try to
1: keep an eye to what's going on globally, you know. With seeds. So I'm going to talk about seeds for that would interest the people that might listen to this podcast, okay? And and so I'm going to give a little overview of what I know about that. And so, you know, when we started the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance six years ago, Bell, my wife, and I, who's co-dire- co-director, we drove thousands of miles all over the Mountain West, and we did, and gave little seed workshops, and we helped out where we could and we met people and the idea was to build a real network of real people. I mean, I love the Internet and it helps keep us together, but we've got to get beyond this idea that an Internet site's going to save the world.
0: You know, you need real
1: relationships, I think, underneath that. Right. And one of the th- one of the things we did was we went to all the farmers markets we could. We went to farmers markets in Wyoming and Montana and, you know, in Colorado. And and of course, we've been to the ones here in Arizona. And one of the things we learned was that if ask the farmers there, you know, the people though, that are actually really growing food. You know, there's lots of people there doing all sorts of different kinds of commerce now, and there's value added to breads and the kimchi and all the other stuff going. But I, I always go to the people that are actually growing food and bringing it to the market, fresh vegetables, especially. Now we're getting grains. And I always ask them, where do you get your seeds? And the same answer I was shocking. How much the same answer came back over and over and over again. And it was Johnny's selected seeds, high mowing seeds, or some of the people out west, uh, way out west used territorial seeds out of, port, you know, south of Portland, Oregon. And that was it. And if you think about it, those are commercial scale. They can service these market growers. You know Johnny's. Um, I it, so, watched grow up. Rob Johnson's a friend of mine. I remember when he he hired his first sort of manager. He had seven employees. You know now Johnny's is a sixty million dollar company, and it is, and it and high mowing are both contract growing seeds in China. Certified organic seeds that supply those markets are being grown in China, and both of those sites had warnings. For a while on their sites, I don't see them now. I just checked today every, you know, they're back and open for business, but during a critical time for especially market farmers. And that's what they both uh, focused on filling orders for first because it's so critical. But if you're a regular home gardener, you cannot buy seeds at the time you needed them this year. They just were so overwhelmed by um, sales that they just couldn't keep up. So they had to choose who they were going to fill orders for. And so I just want to say that about, you know, if you're worried about seed supply, just realize that that is going on right now, that those companies that are supplying our farmers markets have gotten really big and good. But those seeds more and more now, and this is one of my favorite other topics, are now um, carry utility patents, which prevent farmers or us at home from saving seeds that we buy from them. In fact, 40% of Johnny's lettuce seeds now, certified organic are patented. And that's a shocking thing to me. So we, you know, here was our, we're building our own seed system. We're going to be organic. We're going to be self-reliant. And what? They're being contract grown in China and they're patented. Wow. Maybe we need to look at our, our seed system a little bit differently. Maybe we need community community based seed systems just a little bit. And so so one of the things that that we work on a lot here at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, which I think is really key, and I just wanted to point this out. If you're afraid of not having your own seeds, uh, get in touch with your local seed library. And if there isn't one around you, start one. You can go to seedlibrary.net. All the instructions are there. You can hook into a network. There's about more than 400 seed libraries now in the United States, 600 worldwide. These are all just like you, grassroots. Somebody thought that their community should have seeds based on a thousand year old idea from India is that if anybody needs seeds, you give them to them. It's like checking them out from the library. And many of these seed libraries are in libraries and you check them out. And if and when you can, you learn how to grow seeds from those plants and you check in twice as much and the resource starts growing. And more people get involved and all of the seeds that start coming out of there are adapted to your local region. And then you can get local stories with them. It's just an elegant and beautiful and sustainable way for us to bring back community systems. And so just think about that instead of like panic buying your seeds, look around, see who has them. Because you know, one of the secrets that every student that comes to our seed schools learns is that one of the problems in learning how to save seeds is that you end up with so damn many of them. I mean, this is an abundant system. And then you start feeling guilty. It's like, I've got all... It's like you, Greg. You've got, you know, what is... You've got so many (laughs) uh, chickpeas or whatever it is that you grow every year, you
0: know? Yeah. That's a joke actually around here between my sweetie and I, Heidi. I've got so many seeds in, in packets everywhere, just in Ziploc bags and packets. She hides her seeds from me
1: you know there are people all around you in every community now that want to share seeds so think about that first uh, get your seeds wherever you can you know seeds are seeds are the most magical powerful and abundant thing that you can put into your life i think they're the best for our psychological help also i think they're the answer you know if we if uh, hmm. if in the paycheck protection plan they put a little bit of money in there to get you know open pollinated seeds into everybody's hands and teach them how to save them i think we could create a new economy <laughs> it would take a while but it would be one that uh, would survive the next storm that's coming which is probably climate change cost but that's just my view so so that's sort of you know what i had to say tonight are there questions or do you want to uh
0: i can go deeper into any of those things too so good question yeah i can jump over and see if there are questions I was just, uh, my internet's been in and out, so I, uh, got on my cell phone internet, to see if that fixed it. Let me jump over here to the questions. I know uh, that, hey, guess what? Uh, Rebecca Newburn is in the, is in the house. So she's a friend of yours.
1: Uh, Rebecca is the seed library earth mother.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, she's oh, a, great,
1: she, she set your controls for the, heart of the sun and uh, in the seed library movement and you'll eventually end up with rebecca so thank you and bless you for all that you've done i think when history is all said and done and we look at this period because i think there's other disruptions coming and how we act around seeds is going to be essential when all of that's said and done somebody's going to go how did she know why did she work on this so well (laughs)
0: look at the
1: good job she did because it's going to be epic when we finally realize that there's nobody coming to help and all we have are what we have and we have enough because we've got abundant seed libraries at the centers of our
0: town. It's gonna be great. Carol says, Greg's audio is bouncing in and out. Sorry about that. I do not know what's going on with my audio right now. Uh, Rebecca says they have COVID-19 resources at seedlibraries.net. Also, she said, where was it? I think she said, Rebecca Newburn, my hands are in the dirt as we speak. (laughs) Mm -hmm. nice 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 so yes there are some questions here Um, we have terry from aurora this year i cleared out an older seeds and test planted some i'm always fascinated by old seeds that germinate being a bit of a seed hoarder (laughs) i feel rotten disposing of seeds ever boy i heard that any comment or suggestion on older seeds
1: well never give up you know even if 99% 99% of your old seeds die and one of them makes
0: Mm-mm. it,
1: Yep. it could carry a treasure in it. You don't know. And so I never throw away any seeds. And again, I've said this over the years, you've heard it, Greg, is that we routinely get 90% germ on tomato seeds that are 10 years old or more. And yep. I just got 80% germ on some Galena Siberian tomato seeds I had here. Uh, that were labeled in a packet in 1999. Oh.
0: So that's
1: 21 years old. And so, yeah, never give up on them. Seeds are really great insulation and in storage containers for other seeds. So the seeds around the outside might die, but ones in the middle mm-hmm. have a, a much higher chance. So if you've got cans or buckets of them, always reach into the middle if you want to find the most likely to germinate. And there is no excuse these days for hoarding. Take them down to your seed library, you know, start sharing. Hoarding is not allowed. Just remember Dante Alegre put the hoarders and the wasters. She almost at the bottom of the inferno when he wrote that classic book in the Middle Ages, you know. You know, that's pretty far down in hell is the hoarders and the wasters. So there's no reason to hoard. You can do safety backup. You can make yourself comfortable. But if you feel guilty about hoarding, then it's time to start sharing.
0: Yeah. Big time. Well, and that's one of the reasons that we set up the Great American Seed Up, because I let me just tell the story. It'll only take yeah, like two yeah, hours please. or so. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> So
1: in
0: 2011, in June of 2011, I was at your seed school in person in Tucson, and the conversation we had was Phoenix doesn't have a seed bank. So for the people that know me, this won't surprise you, but I put in process a, a actions that I actually created a seed bank with about a thousand pounds of about 80 different varieties of seeds here at my house. And I stored them in a freezer. And what I came to realize is what you said earlier is that that's not gonna work. yeah. Because all of those seeds were in a freezer here at the urban farm. What we needed to do is we needed to take it one step further. And that's where the Great American Seed Up came from out of a conversation that you and me and Belle had oh my gosh, six years ago, and basically we said, what if there were 10,000 people saving seeds in Phoenix? So that is our intent, and you've since taken it to a million seed savers. I think my 10,000 is low, I think your million is low. (laughs) We better hope.
1: There are 150 million gardeners in this country. Million, that should be easy. I don't know how we'll get there yet. You know, It's gonna have to be one of those hockey stick things.
0: Right. Well, and one of the things that we say, people can come to the Great American Seat Up. And why don't you spend just one minute, Bill, and tell people what the Great American Seat Up is and what it looks like the day it's happening?
1: Wow, it's really an exciting thing. You know, we've learned over the years, we've fine-tuned it. That as I said, the basic idea came from this Mormon church. We, get, uh, we didn't have bowls, so we got popcorn buckets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bring in um, tons of of seeds now that are almost directly from the farmers there's uh, we have i have a good friend i developed over the years through the seed industry that is the contract grower he's the one that puts out the contracts and then he brings them all in tests everything bags it up and makes it available to us so there's only one stop between you and these seeds
2: we Mm -hmm. put
1: them in buckets so we avoid 90 percent of the cost You can get a whole scoop of broccoli seeds for $0.75, which is probably about the same as 10 packets, and this only costs you $0.75. And if you want two scoops or three scoops, you decide. You fill out a little card. Janice has been really great at the whole checkout system for this. And then you go through a line and pay for them. And while we're running this seed room that can have hundreds of people in it, this year it's not because we're going to space it out by the hour. It'll be interesting, yeah. Yeah, do our social distancing thing. But we do have classes going on how to start seeds, how to save your own seeds, and how to store your own seeds. So you could literally go in there, get everything you need for for your family and your neighborhood for the foreseeable future. In fact, we now we have seed libraries show up and and part and representatives of communities that show up and get their seeds right now. Yes. That's what we want. If you're listening and you want to do that this year, let us know ahead of time. So we make sure that we get you all taken care of, you know, that
0: stress. That's for the people here in Phoenix. We hired an intern this season from Arizona state university and she put together the package for how to run one of these, if you're in Denver or in Seattle or, you know, wherever. So we've got that as well in place. But my whole point for you to share what that story bill is that with this seed bazaar, somebody can come and spend 20 or $30 and have enough seeds for the rest of your life. Because we teach you how to store them, how to, how to, start them and how to save them
1: yeah you know that's that's true i mean you could get enough seeds for the rest of your life in a lot of different ways but that's definitely true here so if you've been awakened you know to uh the fragility of our uh globalized and centralized food system Mm -hmm. you know that is now wasting millions of animals simply because we only have four meat processors for each of the different kinds of meat you know i mean and but the same thing happens with vegetables they go through these hugely centralized systems and shipped shipped out and yeah. it doesn't take much to to disrupt those and as no, I said we've seen seed, that the seeds are you know are getting more and more centralized into larger and larger companies too yeah. and that takes away the, the the local adaptation that you could have for them and so of, of all the parts of the seed you know or of the food system seeds are the ones that naturally have to be local to take advantage of that adaptation that seeds can provide, you grow uh, Mrs. Burns lemon basil in Tucson, Arizona, for 80 years and save the seeds, and it is different than the lemon basil that it started, that was brought maybe from the East Coast, you know, a long time ago by settlers. And so, that's the point: is that it, it plants learn to live where they are. And they do that by, uh, we know they do that by sexual reproduction, that they'll pass on the genes. You know, the plants that are strongest will pass on the genes, you know, that responded and allowed them to be stronger. But we also know now that epigenet through the science of epigenetics, that plants can actually change in one year. They can roll up DNA sequences for enzymes that, that cause them to transpire too much, say, to get rid of too much water in case it's really hot and dry. It's a survival mechanism. And once they roll that DNA up, that characteristic of rolled up DNA can be passed on to its offspring in one year. So when you get stresses on your plants because of where you're growing it in your own backyard, that's valuable because those offspring will have a head start in dealing with it. They won't have to go through that shock To change, they'll inherit that. And that's always been the basis of local seed saving. And adaptation is just, we didn't really have the science to explain it. We've been told that in order to change the plants fast enough to feed 9 billion people, we're going to have to genetically engineer them. And now we know that through epigenetics, plants are genetically re-engineering themselves all the time, every day in everybody's yard. And all we really need is for everybody to take advantage of it. A million new seed savers out there to start creating local specialized adaptation where they are. That gives us a chance to recreate the diversity we're going to, we're going to need, I think, in with the coming storms. So that I kind of got long-winded there, but so go to the great American seed up, ask Greg about one if you're interested about one for your, your own town. We've been asked over the years for this, and we really, folks, we really didn't understand or didn't have the confidence that we could write down everything and get one of these to go in another place without us going there. I mean, it's a hugely complicated thing. How many volunteers do we have show up, Greg?
2: Hey, this is Janice. I'm jumping in because it sounds like Greg's gotten a little bit of audio problem. I've got a list of 45 to 60 volunteers that help out. Right. So, 150 varieties of
1: seeds, two tons, all have to be organized. 800 people show up, and there's 48 volunteers to help make it work. So that's why we haven't made it available till now. And we've got somebody really sharp that's coming up with a playbook manual. And what it'll take is maybe one of us. Going out to your seed up in another city, if that's if you really want to do one of these things, and we really want to see them take off everywhere because oh, yeah. you know we didn't we didn't start this as a business you know for business reasons although it is we started this because we want community based seed systems everywhere, and this just happens to be a really great tool
0: model for, for it, yeah
1: yeah for jump-starting. It takes the Costco you know big box idea or a pop-up tent idea for products into a city and then is combined with education.
0: Yeah. Carol and uh, let's see, Carol and Ted are wondering about Great American Seed Ups where they live. You can email me or Janice, greg at urbanfarm.org, and we can get you in that loop. So let's see. I'm going to jump over to questions again and see what we have over there. Oh, here's one. Barbara, is there a guide to setting up community seed saving? And if if you don't have an answer for that, maybe Rebecca does in the chat box. Well, that's
1: good. We got a grant to produce a seed teachers curriculum manual, and we, we have those available. And if you'll email me, Ooh. Bill, Bill at RockyMountainSeeds.org, I'll figure out how to get you one of those. You know, what our answer to that is that we've been teaching seed schools and all of those talk about all the skills you need and then we've even you know graduated to teaching seed teacher schools and we get seed librarians and we get people from seed savers exchange and other organizations that come so that we can all learn together how to um, put together community seed systems and so those are the two ways that we work and again we did do a manual and it is available and i'll try to get you one if i you know if it's not a physical one i can get you a pdf i
0: believe so nice rebecca newburden says we are offering seed saving in a time of crisis there is a link in the chat box good good job rebecca i'm just looking down through our questions here i don't know whatever's going on i hope uh, my my sweetie heidi is teaching a yoga class as we speak in the other room, she's hardwired with Ethernet. I'm hoping she's not having any problems. Christina from Midland, Texas says, this is a fantastic talk. Can Bill elaborate on epigenetics? Are traits based on sunlight, heat, wind, and drought tolerance passed on if plants are grown in containers? So before you jump into that, I'm going to say that was it, was it, la- it it was two months ago. No, it was last month. So look at our seed chat on the Urban Farm podcast from last month. We had a guest speaker that talked all about this. So I'll give you only uh, one minute to talk about this. Right. No, I'm going
1: to refer to the same thing, but that has not been up. So because we did that a month ago, was that released today as a podcast?
0: This is Janice
2: stepping in. It was not released as a podcast because we did it as a webinar.
0: Okay. Uh. Okay. So, it is, so, however,
2: I, in our Victory Garden customer hub.
0: Bundle. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. So then make two minutes on epigenetics, Bill. <laughs> well, uh, I think
1: I could summarize. Dr. Bradley Tunnison, um came on as a guest who is a PhD in genetics. He did his work in rice. And he now calls himself a spiritual farmer. And he's the only PhD in genetics I know in the modern world that I've met in my 40 years. And there could be others out there. Let's pray that there are. But that did not go into uh, genetic engineering or the biotech sphere, which is where all the jobs are. Instead, Bradley took what he learned and he went the other way. And now he is trying to be another advocate for local seed saving as the basis of a new and, and productive and beautiful food system. And so the short answer is everything that happens to a plant can affect it genetically, epigenetically, and can be passed on, everything. And, and I say that uh, with a capital E, because now I sleep better at night knowing that what I experienced personally when I went to Hopi and saw how they grow corn, Now I have at least a little bit of an understanding about how that might work. Because if you ask, or and you ask around at Hopi what makes their corn grow, they will tell you its prayers. And that is certainly possible, that some sort of energy from us is affecting these plants, and that is being passed on to its offspring. And you do that for a thousand years, and that starts to explain some things. Not only the fact that they're growing, you know, the Hopi grow corn at 5,000 to 6,000 feet. They don't irrigate. There's no rainfall. You know, it's nine inches of rainfall a year. They have to plant the seeds a foot deep because that's the only moisture in the spring. They have to pray oh, for right. monsoon and rain to get it to come up. And And all of those forces on the corn are passed on. That's what Epigenetics tells us. And it's been, boy, Bradley gave us a book. A reference in that webinar. I'll see if I can't find that for you to look at. Well, here it is. Holdridge is the name. H O L D R E G E is how I wrote it down. 1996. It's called Genetics and the Influence of Environment. So that would be a textbook if
0: you wanted to read further. Cool. So Ted says, Is this group aware of the Food is Free movement? Have you heard of that, Bill?
1: I've just heard about the Gasoline is Free movement from Cheryl ah. Crowe. I love that song. But no, I haven't, and I love it. Food should be free. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my my life philosophy is based on an, one author, Daniel Quinn, and his uh, he's written multiple fiction books that really address what we're up to and how we came to be. His first one is Ishmael, all about how uh, it's a it's a conversation between a gorilla and a man the gorilla is the teacher on how we came to be and there was a time that food was free and when and when the forces in our culture locked up the food that's when things went south so this is food is free i'm gonna have to check it out we need to get them yeah we need to get them on the podcast wow thanks for that ted And This is a specific question, looking for a good source for starter potatoes. I buy them at the grocery store and make sure they're organic. What do you do, Bill?
1: Well, you, you have to be careful because many states have regulations. So I don't know what state the question is coming from. But you want to search in your state. It's just easier. If you get seed potatoes in from out of state and your state grows potatoes, there's a huge... You know, barrier there. They don't. They don't want outside diseases coming in, and so we can understand that. Hmm. And so, you know, over the years, I have been growing and saving potato seed. I originally got from Mike Keith and Nate Jones in Idaho, who you know, Idaho potato boys, and that's where I came from. So, you know, you're gonna. That's a that's a local and more specific answer. There was a place in northern Idaho. It was called Roniger's and i believe it's sold you may just i haven't looked for a while but mr roniger was a friend of mine and he sold the company to somebody else so i don't know what's going but they used to sell mail order about a hundred and plus varieties of potatoes wow and how they did that mail order and shipped them all over i don't know and whether they're still doing it or not i don't know but that was the go-to place for a long time
0: there you go ann's got a question from phoenix this is a Greg question. I'm going to give you the short answer. And if you want, there's, we have some, I've talked about this a lot in the past, but if you want, the best thing to do is to get a garden consult with me and we can go over in depth on how to do this. Janice will put the garden consults in the, in the chat box and says, have a yard full of Bermuda grass. What is the best way to clear it for more planting space? Well, you have to dig it out. I have found that the best way to do is is to use a sod cutter and cut it out. But you have to put barriers in place. I call them weed walls to keep the grass out of where you're trying to, you know, of what you're trying to keep clear. So because Bermuda will take over. So there's a whole lot more to that. We could I could talk for an hour just on Bermuda grass and managing it. Let's see here. All right, here's a one minute. St- a one-minute question for you here, Bill. What is it? Chris wants to know what's the best way to store seeds. <laughs>
1: we get this every time, and it's great. Yeah, we keep do. asking. Yeah, uh, cool, dark, and dry. Cool means below 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's comes from a contract that NASA had with Utah State University. They did all sorts of studies, and for the amount of cost and energy and whatever, just keep it below eighty, and those seeds will they'll uh, some will die every year, and the germ will go down, but it will go happen really slowly If you cook them above eighty for a while, they'll start to die off more more quickly dark just keep them out of the sun, many of us put them in containers anyway, and dry you know mm-hmm. if you live. If you live in a uh, climate that has higher humidity, then you might want to look at those silicon bags that come in every electronic device. Oh, yeah. You may may want to pack them up on non-rainy or low humidity days if you're going to store them for long periods of time. You may have to be a little bit careful. Air conditioning actually dries air. So you could, you know, just keep them in your air conditioned mm-hmm. house, and if it's below eighty, you're, you're going to be fine. So those, the, that's kind of a general thing.
0: Yeah, Generally, I uh, uh, excuse me, I store them in jars in the freezer. Good
1: idea. Just make the, you sure know, you bag. Jars. Yeah, bag, bag them up on a dry day. If you live out west, you know where there's twenty percent or less humidity normally, like we do in Arizona,
0: mm-hmm. then you'll be fine. And as CD, I said,
1: the seeds will last ahead. a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dee from Tempe, how do you save onions from the garden uh, if they don't go to seed as well as how do you have garlic bulbs as how do you save garlic bulbs that you pulled in April but want to plant them in November? I have an answer for this, but what's your answer, Bill?
1: No, go ahead. I'd love to hear yours.
0: So onions, the only onions that, uh, she's in Tempe, the only ones that I've been successfully able to grow is the toy onions, I-I-T-O-I onions. And anybody that is near me, I, I'll give you a fistful of them. Because you plant one in a year, you'll have a dozen. In six months, you'll have a dozen. And then from there, you'll have 144. What I do with my garlic, because I've noticed this before, if you harvest it, and in here in the desert and leave it somewhere, it dries out. So I don't harvest all of my garlic from my yard. I only harvest some of it and I leave some of it behind and it stores just fine in the ground. And then it comes up next season in spades.
1: Wow. Good idea. That's permaculture. Why
0: yeah, do you work? Yeah. <laughs> plus, I harvest my garlic now in May and I plant it in September. Just so you said, April. April harvest and November plant but no the the sooner you get it in after the heat dies down in the desert here the better off you're going to be yes
1: you know generally curing it you know first you know Mm -hmm. let it dry Uh, once you pull it up let it dry for a day or two before you try to store it and again cool dark and dry would be general yeah you know we're all I mean the perfect place to store it even in Tempe would be a root cellar right (laughs) yeah (laughs) but we don't have that
0: anymore and so I have, I have lived here at the urban farm for 31 years and I have so want, I've looked and looked and looked. It's a third of an acre. It's 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. And I have looked and looked and looked where I could put a root cellar in. And I, it's just, you know, I don't have the space for it. I would love one. Yeah. We need one up where you're at.
1: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a real possibility. And we may have Uh to do that. It's just backup for the seed up. So we'll talk.
0: Brent says, comment from brent have some seeds from my wife's grandfather going to try to germinate them also some from a friend from somewhere anywhere from four to twenty years ago feeling optimistic one of the things you might do brent is do a germination test on them i'll have bill tell us what that is and then when they germinate you plant the germination tested seeds bill
1: yeah you don't have to waste the seeds to do a germ test you know some uh, there's a modern method where you just put them on a, a a piece of damp paper towel in a petri dish the traditional method is to roll them up in paper towels and again we do this we show you how they do it at at, at seed labs you know for uh, official germination tests and you can actually get a book and learn the parameters so that your tests are official if you're doing a community system or a library or something and you want to do that. But it's pretty easy, but people think, oh, I don't have enough seeds for a, for a germ test. I only have, you know, a few of them. Well, I, I like what you said, Greg. Well, just plant the paper towel after you're done. <laughs> if exactly. they me, you know, and then you can, you can do both and that way you don't waste your time. But again, don't give up. Sometimes old seeds take way longer to germinate for some mm-hmm. reason. They're really slow to germinate. And again, if only one of them makes it, and it's from your grandfather or whatever it is, Boner. that's a tre- that's a treasure. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish luck on that.
0: So a germ test, basically you just take a small piece of paper towel, and you wet it, and you put out, you know, if you're going to do a, a an official, as official as they become, germ test, you want to do 100 seeds, right, Bill? Yes yeah official is
1: 100 yeah
0: yeah but if you just want to do five or ten you put five or ten of them on that white paper towel put another paper towel on top of it wet it roll it up uh keep it in a damp place and unroll it three days later and see what you get and if they haven't germinated because so, some seeds like parsley take what 21 days or something crazy like that yeah
1: yeah and you know carrots could take six weeks old carrot seed
0: <laughs> wow there you go just saying yeah well, let's see here. Manon says, what is the difference between a seed library and the Great American Seed Up? Well, first of all, go check out greatamericanseedup.org, and Janice will please put that in the chat box. But Bill?
1: You know, in a sense, the Great American Seed Up is like a big seed library, except we're only open two days a year. The advantage a seed library has is that it's usually open year-round. Now, not all. All of them are open all days of the week year-round, and some are only open some days of the year. But generally, the idea is that the community can have access to seeds when it needs them. You know, Otherwise, it would be what we call a seed exchange, where everybody comes together and exchanges seeds in a big party. They have these all over Canada. They call them Seedy Saturday Seed Exchanges or Seedy Sundays. And they become part of the national fabric up there as they try to make Canada... Self-reliant in its own seed production. That's part of a national program up there. We just haven't gotten that memo yet quite down here and we're behind and right. we need to try to catch up. And so, you know, view this seed up as a kind of a starter. Uh, you know, if you, if you really wanted to get lots of really great seed libraries and seed exchanges going in your city, a uh, seed up would be a way to get lots of seeds that could be used for that kind of thing once they're yep. grown and saved into your community. Otherwise, people are going to have to order them, get them in. Uh, Lots of seed libraries start up with seeds that are donated at the end of the year, old seeds from seed companies. That's where they come from. And so, you know, that's probably the biggest difference. You know, I'd be interested to hear what Rebecca has to say, and I'm so happy she's on
0: here. Oh, no kidding. So imagine, Manon, a a 10,000-square-foot room with over 100 different varieties of seeds in it in popcorn buckets. So each variety of seed has its own popcorn bucket. And we have business cards for each one of the seed varieties and Ziploc bags, little Ziploc bags next to that seed variety and a sign and a scoop that talks about what that seed is and a scoop to scoop the seeds into the bag. So it's basically, imagine a great big farmer's market or bazaar with a hundred over a hundred different varieties of seeds that you can scoop up at a super super inexpensive price. The seed up is meant to uh, really super energize a local seed economy. Seed libraries often are in libraries, and often they use their old seed their old book card shelves to put seeds in. And generally what you do at a seed library is you – there are seeds there in packets. You go check out a packet. You take it home and you grow it. You make more seeds, and then you bring them the seeds back to the library to reinvigorate the library. So that's – that. in my mind, that's the difference. Bill? oh that was great thank you cool. yeah, <laughs> you know we get so close
1: to these things we don't explain them well but you did a great job that's really what a seed library is and as i said we have people now coming from seed libraries to the great american oh, yeah. seed to yep. get seats for their seed library so
0: oh and janice tagged me and she says greg and education yeah everything with us bill Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, Urban Farm U, PHX, Janice, Greg, Taylor, Renee, Raymond, all of our team in our Fruit Tree Program, in the Great American Seed Up, in online, it's education first. We put that first above profits. We put that first above anything because we feel like the single most important thing that you can be doing right now is learning where your food comes from and how to grow your own. So that's what we educate for. Yes. Yeah. And be careful.
1: Once you do it
0: <laughs> right,
1: you you're never coming back. <laughs> yeah. You get
0: like Greg. Like, oh my God. When I was pontificating <laughs> there a minute ago it's like spit was flying out of my mouth and it was like, Yes, this is what we need to be doing. Sorry. Well like,
1: and your a- wife starts hiding her seats so she can't get you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> weird stuff starts to happen yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. A comment from Janice. People are in our lives, uh, in our live class, are getting the benefits of the chat room. This week, we have Rebecca sharing several great links. We'll add them. Oh, good. Yeah. Adding the the show notes to the the chat to the show notes will be really good, Janice. That'd be great. Awesome. I think we are at the end of our Q&A. We're at the end of our hour. We're right on 59 minutes at this point. Why don't you, Bill, tell everybody about, uh, i give you one minute on this, tell everybody about Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, please.
1: Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is a network of people who've realized what we were talking about earlier, that um, to really do this, to solve the seed problem, if you see it that way, we're going to have to do it together. That's how, that's the culture that created these seeds largely everything that we eat from plants was a wild plant at one point yep. and somebody you know over the last 10,000 years took care to grow and save seeds from ones they liked a little bit better and by the time we came around in the 20th century it was a gift a huge gift and we've wasted maybe up to 90% of those varieties or at least they're not being planted anymore yeah and so I mean, to truly realize the importance and the power of that gift, we need to realize that it's our responsibility to pass them on and continue the kind of community that would take to do that. And so that's our attempt with the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. So we just do three things. We inspire people to get involved. We educate them. And then we network them. And so go to RockyMountainSeeds.org. We have directories there. You can find all the people that are in our network that are seed teachers or seed libraries or seed stewards. You can mm-hmm. find the people that are taking care of glass, gym corn, and you can communicate with them directly. And so the, our idea is not to build another empire or another great organization. Our Actually, the goal of the Rock Seed Alliance is to dissolve itself someday because every community has, the has their
0: own seeds. That's amen to that amen jo- to that.
1: Join us. Give us give us five bucks a month to help. You know, you can sign up with one of those repetitive recurring things. If everybody in our network did that, we would be funded enough to keep doing the work we're doing. We're going to do an international seed festival in Idaho in the fall of 2021 nice. um, instead of our seed summit. And we're, we continually do classes and you can read about those on the website.
0: Yeah, we're actually doing. You may not know this yet, but we're actually doing the Seed Summit online in the fall, Bill. Ooh! Oh yeah.
1: With You're the always.
0: Yeah. Of, with the backbone of the Seed School online class. Wow!
1: Well, that's yeah. an interesting idea. We'll have to yeah.
0: talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are going to because I need lots of resources from you. Okay. We have one more comment, and then I'm going to bring Janice on because she's got some things to share as well. Uh Jeepsters, who is in the chat room, says, you need to be careful going to the Great American Seed Up. I needed to build seven new garden beds to keep up with the new seeds that he planted this spring. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. Are you with us, Janice?
2: I am. I am. So it has just, been so fun in the chat room. I swear I love it.
0: Oh, I'll, I'll bet. Before, before you get too far along, Janice, I just want to share with any, everybody, I'm a what-if kind of guy. I like to come up with ideas. And Janice came into my life five years ago. Can you believe it's been five years, Janice? Wow. Bill? I know. Janice came into my life five years ago, and she is irritatingly organized. (laughs) But it makes everything work so much better. So I just want to shout out to you, Janice, for that. Thank you for really making our ideas sing, you know, between the Great American Seed Up and the Fruit Tree Program and our online projects and, you know, and then Taylor came on and she manages a lot of our online stuff. It's just like you two are the exact two people that I needed to have come into my life to make this stuff work. So thank
2: you. I love it. You've given me quite the puzzle to put
0: together. Tons oh of yes, pieces. I love it. <laughs> so talk about the buttons on the right, and then I actually have a little bit to say about that. And then well, depending
2: well. on whether or not you're on a tablet or if you're on a computer or on a phone, there's some links on the side. We do have a donate button if you'd like to help—five bucks, ten bucks, doesn't matter. We appreciate everything that's kind of helping us stick to what we're doing right now with the, our shutdown of local events. And then we've got some links under call handouts and links. Uh, So with reminder emails is what you can click on if this is your first time joining us with this class and you would like to get reminder emails about joining us for other webinar classes that we have. Harvest the entire series is what you would click on to get access to the entire collection of the gardening classes. We've put them on a separate page trying to add all the links, all the notes and everything that I possibly can harvest from the chat room next to them. And we've got uh, all the classes that we've had grouped into organized pages in there. And We're then almost
0: sh- 50, right? Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is 49. So although the summit classes aren't in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And then shop our store is if you're local or not, we do have a few items that the urban farm sells that we can either have for pickup or for some of the items we can ship.
0: Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. And I just want to do a shout out to all of you that because uh, we've been selling a, one or two of these packages a day for all of the classes. So basically, our Victory Garden Bundle package is all of our classes that we've done, uh, you know, all forty-five of them. The summit is different, all forty-five of them over the past two months. And this by by purchasing the bundle, it's ninety-seven dollars. It does two things. First of all, it Gives you an amazing resource with at least fifty hours worth of education on gardening topics, from humanure to seeds to vermicomposting to gardening to on and on and on. The other thing that it does, and janice kind of inferred this a moment ago or mentioned this a moment ago, and that is that it it supports us in the work we're doing here because you know so much of our stuff got shut down. So it's a feel good for you that you get to learn. And it's also a feel good for you that you donate a little bit of money our way to help us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for those of you that have done that. We appreciate it. Great. Any last words, Bill or Janice? Plant seeds. (laughs) There is no (laughs) shortage. There you go. Janice? Well, I want to say
2: thank you to Bill because Bill was our first class in our gardening classes. Two months ago, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, we appreciate that so much. And then this week we have one more class that is the one that we did not get to have last time. That is the
0: uh, Dishing with Greg. Dishing with Greg. That's a uh, really cool interview that uh, Michael Brownlee, he's an author up in Colorado, did with me last month. We have gone to two classes a week last as it's through last week, we were doing five classes a week. That's a lot of work. So we're now at two classes a week. And then for sure next Tuesday, I am doing a class, a brand new class on fertilizing, mulching, foliar fertilizing, and pest control for your fruit trees. So you won't want to miss that. And then we have a lot of the supplies that you'll need. So that you can, you know, successfully get your all really all your trees and your gardens going, but more specifically fruit trees. And then oh, wow. who knows what next Thursday is? We'll have to create something.
2: I'll have something <laughs> set up.
0: Thank you both very much. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Have a great day, farm out, and we will catch you on the flip side.
2: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming.